Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC, and it is my pleasure and honor, privilege to be able to welcome all of you to worship on this Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week. So whether you're here in person or on the live stream, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We're thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us on this very, very special Sunday. If you're visiting with us today, we offer a very warm welcome to you. We hope you received a visitor's goodie bag when you came in. And I would like to invite all of us, this is visitors, friends, members, regular attenders, let's say if you're breathing, you're invited to do this, and that is to sign friendship ads. So if you're at the end of an aisle, you have the very uh, weighty responsibility of getting that started. And so I'd ask you to get that started, pass that down to your neighbor, and sign those pads, and we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Well, for announcements, I am obviously going to emphasize Holy Week. We have a lot going on on this very special and very significant week in the life of the church. Obviously, today is Palm Sunday, where we acknowledge and recognize Jesus, as you will hear in a few moments, the unexpected king coming into his city. We thought triumphantly, uh, but then you see as the week unfolds, we want to invite all of you to our Monday Thursday service. That's this Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper then as well. Friday is a very special day as we have our Good Friday service at noon where we will focus especially on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then at 4 o'clock, we are doing an Easter family movie night where we are wanting to connect relationally with one another and with our community. It is not too late to sign up. And so see Ellen or Travis if you have any questions regarding that. That'll be a whole lot of fun with an Easter egg hunt and a bouncy house. And please pray that the weather holds up. I don't like what my app is telling me. See, I have a couple of things that I'm going to announce that's like pray for the weather. We want God to write a sunny story, not a 80% chance of rain story. We submit to his sovereignty no matter what, but I'll be honest, I get in a bad mood sometimes. And so Sunday morning, another thing to pray about. Our Sunday morning Easter celebration will begin with a brunch at 9 o'clock. It is not too late to sign up, and I'm going to emphasize, please sign up so that the fellowship team that is coordinating and preparing things will know how many to come. And I can tell right now just by taking a peek, there are not enough people signed up. We can double that list of people signed up. And in fact, let me lay this out for any of these events these are wonderful opportunities for us to live on mission and invite neighbors and friends and people that we do life with to come and join us. So that brunch will be at 9 o'clock, and then the Easter celebration, the culmination of all of that will be at 10.30 on Sunday morning. We have a whole lot of other things you see going on in terms of announcements, a Sheds of Hope Youth Build coming up, more women's ministry events, the Daughters of the King on the 24th, a lot of opportunities for fellowship, for getting involved. There's a lot of opportunities for doing things. We are excited about what the Lord is doing in our midst. Uh, we are just very thrilled with how he's moving. And so now as we hear the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning.
Come, Christians, join to sing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Our call to worship this morning from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we receive you and we magnify you and we praise you for who you are. And we thank you that though you are righteous and victorious, you are also gentle and lowly and humble in heart. And you come to us. Oh, we long to see you. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning that we may behold the wonders and the powers of who you are. We invoke your name to be amongst us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and from the mouth of infants and babes, God has ordained his praises. His praises are enthroned on high from the mouths of children and infants. Praise the Lord. For some reason, I feel like I should have done the liturgy a little different. There's something that doesn't feel right going into that kind of exuberant praise into confession. But yet that is... 
in a sense, how the gospel story is written. In that we see the glory of God. We celebrate God. But then we come face to face with our own fallenness. We come face to face with our own need of confession and repentance. And maybe if we're repenting in a biblical sense, there's a sense of joy to it because repentance is always in light of the mercy of God. A God who longs to welcome and receive us as his little children. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, we read, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. As we go into our personal confession of sin, John Calvin wrote, even if we were carefully to examine just one minute of our lives, we would find ourselves worthy of eternal death. Indeed, each one of us would discover ourselves to be sinners, not in just one area, but a hundred thousand, not due to some one fault, but to countless millions. Friends, take a moment to remember the gospel, to confess your sins, and to remember that we're coming to a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful. I'll give you a few moments to engage with him yourself, and then I will lead us into our corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together. O Lord, who on this day entered the rebellious city that later rejected you, we confess that our wills are as rebellious as Jerusalem's, that our faith is often more show than substance, that our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. Through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And friends, now receive by faith this assurance of pardon. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, for he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's continue to worship, standing and singing together. Praise my soul. 
the King of Heaven. somebody is that interested in you, to think that somebody loves you that much. And now we have the opportunity to pour out our hearts to this God who loves and cares for us. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer in unison, and then I will lead us in a time of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, this is a week where we cry out and lament how long, O Lord. This has been a week where we have been tremendously reminded that there is nothing new under the sun. That as in the days of Noah, where you rightly assessed that the earth was corrupt in your sight and the earth was filled with violence, we recognize not much has changed. The earth is still corrupt in your sight. There is still violence upon the earth. We've been reminded of this by the horrific tragedy that struck the Covenant School, part of our sister church, Covenant Presbyterian in Nashville. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we stand with them. We lament with them. Our hearts are broken with them. We pray for the families of those whose lives were taken from them. There are no words. We stand with them and we ask that your presence might be displayed, that you would comfort them in the days and weeks ahead, that the church would display your manifold wisdom, that we would bear their burdens and help carry their load, that you would be with Chad and Jada Scruggs and all the families of loved ones lost, that you would be with Covenant Presbyterian and the Nashville Presbyterian, the city of Nashville. And on this Palm Sunday, we're reminded that you hallowed your name and inaugurated your kingdom in such an unexpected way. As you rode into your city on a donkey, being hailed as the coming king, in just a few days, violence would fall upon you as you didn't stay distant from the corruption and violence that is not only in the world, but in our own hearts and lives. But you absorbed it into yourself, suffering the shame and mocking and torture of the cross. And again, in such an unexpected way, on the third day, you were raised from the dead, victorious, vindicating your work and launching your kingdom into the world and bringing us the hope of a new world, a world of justice, of righteousness, a world where everything sad will become untrue. And so death does not get the final word, but resurrection and hope get the final word. And you commission us as a church to be ministers of that reconciliation and hope, to display and offer that hope to a community that no matter how pretty we may look on the outside, suffer from all the alienation, helplessness, and violence that is still in the world. And so we, especially this week, Lord, have a real opportunity to minister the gospel to our community. If ever there are a week where we need Easter, it is this week. And we have the opportunity to simply reach out to our neighbors, love them, Invite them to an event. Invite them to a service. Go with them. Join with them. Sit with them. Love them. Eat with them. Offer them hope. And so we pray for not only the services and outreaches that we will be doing this week, but we pray for the church here at Lake Oconee. We pray for the hope of the gospel. The gospel of reconciliation to be offered to the one who is building his kingdom for his glory 
for his power, for his might. And we pray all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Well, it's a joy to be here this morning to join you in worship on this celebratory day. Uh, we're very grateful that we get to join our voices along with uh, those that welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike Palumbo. I'm a new pastor here, uh, assistant pastor at the church, uh, working alongside uh, Jeff Birch and our session alongside Travis and others, our staff, uh, to serve this community and to reach the broader community. Uh, God has called us to live on mission here to bring the gospel to the ends of Lake Oconee, to the ends of the earth. And so we're so glad to be rooted here in the gospel as we seek renewal of the world. And uh, I do want to just reiterate, uh, Friday is going to be a great event. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm fair to say this. Are we on rain or shine? Okay, so we will make a way for this event to happen, rain or shine. And so here's what that probably means, likely. If it is raining, we may need some more assistance and help. Uh, we'll likely have the event inside here. Uh, so I'm, I, am, I am improvising right now. So if you are here and you would love to see this event happen, we want to encourage you to help make this a special time. Uh, that might mean uh, that we help out maybe clearing this space so we can use uh, the sanctuary space for aspects of that. But more than that, it often means simply giving an invite, inviting a neighbor, uh, being welcoming when you do come, seeing a new person and meeting them, greeting them, welcoming them. Uh, it'll be a joy. I know I've got neighbors coming, and I hope you get to meet them, and we'll have fun together. Uh, so as we open up the text today, we're going to be in Luke 19, and you can open your Bible there to Luke 19. And we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry. Now, this is a very common text, and maybe you've heard this preached on in numerous ways, and, uh, and so this is kind of a text that we can just zone out. We know this message, right? We know what's going on. We already did the waving of the palms. But today's sermon text, what we see is that Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. His final hour is right around the corner. And looking at this context, if you look at 19 verse 11, we see that many believe that Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem meant the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. All right, so here we see the expectation of what's happening. Jerusalem, as we know, was occupied by Rome. They were under Roman leadership, under Roman tyranny. You could even say that these people were desperate to be delivered from this foreign kingdom. We see this desperation of deliverance as Jesus fed 5,000. It's interesting, you read that text. It says they literally went to take Jesus by force to make him king. You see, they expected that Jesus would rally an army and form a rebellion. They expected Jesus would drive out the enemy and deliver the people. They expected that Jesus would finally restore Israel to its rightful place. And we'll find in this text that Jesus is not the king that we expect, but he is the king that we desperately need. And this morning we need to begin by asking, what is our expectation of King Jesus? We have to look inward and say, what do I expect him to do in my life, and in my world. And sadly, many of us are presently seeking a mini-kingdom of me. We want the whole world to acknowledge our greatness, to bow to our authority, to fulfill our desires. And if you disagree with me, uh, then go from Greensboro down 44 at the Publix when someone's taken a left turn. <laughs> Do you know this experience yet? It didn't take long for me. They're waiting there, clogging the way so they can get their groceries. And what do I want? What I want. That's what I want. 
And the reality is, many of us who live in this mini kingdom of me, we rail against anyone who gets in the way of us accomplishing our plans. The mantra of the mini kingdom of me is my kingdom come, my will be done. I expect God to work for me, to do what I want, what I need. And this mini kingdom of me aims at my wants, my goals, my progress, and falls apart when I don't get my way. Has anyone been able to relate to that kingdom this week? You see, other of us are trying to seek a tiny kingdom of tribe. We aren't as self-centered as the mini kingdom of me people. We are focused on the people and the community. We are seeking the flourishing of the people we call our people. Those building a tiny kingdom of tribe are seeking not the well-being of everyone, but the well-being of those that are just like them, those that fit in their neat and tight circles. We see political tribes. We see there are socioeconomic tribes like the rich and the poor. We see racial and ethnic tribes like black and white, Hispanic, Latino, African. We see all sorts of other social tribes like the actors and the athletes. And the mantra of this kingdom is our kingdom come, our will be done. In this way, we expect God to work for us, for our people. And if we are not careful, our church can even become a tiny kingdom of tribe. You see, we are too familiar with this in denominations, right? Denominational tribalism is all over the place. We are too familiar with this. and We see that churches become militant, fighting against each other over secondary and tertiary issues rather than working together in love. You see, God has called us as a church and all the churches in Lake Oconee to become missional, to work together to reach this community for Christ. See, we can see that it's easy for us to become paralyzed in our mission. We can have a missional paralysis when we care only about the insiders who are with us and neglect the outsiders in the community. Churches that become tiny kingdoms of tribe, they really never reach the community God's put before them. They don't bless them because they see them as outside and far away. This tiny kingdom of tribe may seek out the well-being of an exclusive tribe, but it misses the fact that Jesus came to ransom in people from all tribes, all languages, from every people and nation. This tiny kingdom falls apart because even though a tribe may share and often do share aims of God's kingdom, in other ways, tribes can work against God's kingdom agenda. Sometimes our devotion to a tribe forces us to embrace attitudes and actions that the Bible rightly condemns. Sometimes even a subtle difference can create a significant diversion from God's kingdom mission and from the Bible to which we hold our ultimate devotion. See, it's in this context that Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Because there are many people in Jerusalem that were more for their tribe and not for the nations. There are many in Jerusalem that wanted their kingdom and not the gospel go to all kingdoms. And then comes the true king Jesus riding on a donkey. He doesn't come praying, my kingdom come. He doesn't even come saying, our kingdom come. But he comes saying, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus comes as the unexpected king to bring his unexpected kingdom that we would have unhindered devotion to him. So let's look together at the entrance of this true king in Jerusalem in Luke 9, 
19, 28 through 44. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were with him sent away, and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from you, your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your, stone, and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The law of the Lord is trustworthy, reviving the soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word of God. We thank you, Father, that you have given us direction in your word about the glory and greatness of your name, about how we can trust you in your goodness and move forward by faith. We pray, O oh Lord, as we enter into this holy week, that you would give us eyes wide open on Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would direct us in the word of God, and that you would teach us to trust and submit to your word and to see your salvation through Jesus, our Lord. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It's very true that when we realize the identity of certain people, it changes the way we interact with them. The reality TV show Undercover Boss really captures this truth. If you've seen this show, and maybe some of you have, you know that what happens is there's this company that's showcased, and they're facing some real challenges in leadership. Maybe it's poor leadership from the top, poor work ethic, maybe it's skills from within, But these companies are on the verge of shutting down if something does not change. In order to more clearly see and solve the problem, the boss goes undercover as one of the employees. And typically by the end of the show, what happens is the company finds out that this new worker was the boss who owns the place. There's a life-altering change when the problem workers first realize that he was the newbie. When they see the identity of their undercover boss... It changes their interaction with him and how they work in his organization. See, there's a similar shift in the heart of every follower of Christ. When we realize the true identity of Jesus as Savior, it changes everything about the way we interact with him and engage in God's world. Jesus lived undercover for most of his ministry. He didn't go shouting out who he was and what he came to do. His inner circle knew more of who he was and what he was doing. We know that there's a point where uh, Jesus engages Peter and says, what do they say about me? What does the world say about me? 
and said some thought that Jesus was a prophet, some said he was Elijah, but Peter knew that this Jesus was the Christ, the coming king, the son of the living God. His journey to Jerusalem was the first time he publicly acknowledged and affirmed this identity as king. But the question is, what type of king is Jesus? You see, when we clearly see this king, we joyfully will surrender to him. When we see his saving power, we not only have hope for today and tomorrow, but direction in our life. And today we're going to see that this king is unexpected. He's unexpected in his humility and unexpected in his power. Now, if you look at Matthew 10, 25 to 27, Jesus sets the expectation of how a king often relates to his subjects. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. These kings are tough and tyrannical. They are filled with pride and self-interest, and this is the common way. They rule from above, crushing those under their leadership. They sit in places of honor, demanding people acknowledge their greatness. Yet Jesus says this about us. It shall not be so among you, and it wasn't so with him. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be first among you must be your slave. Now, the first thing I want us to look at is how Jesus enters into Jerusalem. What animal does he ride? You see, Jesus has determined to make his grand entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey. Would you do that? Is that how you would enter into Jerusalem? You see, many kings would enter with lavish clothing, with flashy jewels. Maybe they would enter on a big horse, strong and mighty, or an elephant, big and strong. Some may enter even in the backs of less worthy people as they carry the king into the city. But not so with Jesus. He enters in on a donkey. Now, Matthew points out the significance of this entrance on the donkey. He quotes Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. And listen to this. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. You see, a donkey is not a symbol of power. Has anyone ever rode into a place, maybe an executive board meeting, and you need to be a, show your, heavy, your strong arm, and you come in riding on a donkey? No one does this. And Jesus didn't come galloping on a Clydesdale. He was on this small, kind of weak-looking, uh, hobbling donkey. This would be significant as if maybe the President of the United States was going down an inaugural parade on a bumper car. This is ridiculous. But you see, in Jesus' life, he didn't come to show triumphalism, per se, but he came to accomplish the greatest triumph this world has ever seen. The salvation of sinners desperately needing a savior. And throughout Jesus' life, he demonstrated this humility and this service. He wasn't born in a castle on high, but born in a manger down low, because there was no room for him in the inn. Jesus often humbly engaged outsiders in his community. He welcomed tax collectors and sinners and even ate with them. Jesus interacted with an adulterous woman in Samaria that despised culture over there. He invited little children to come to him. He constantly inconvenienced himself to serve those in need around him. One evening, he started healing the sick at sundown. Has anyone ever started doing something that would make life difficult at sundown? (laughs) No, that's when we want to wind down and seek personal comfort. That's when we want to go to bed and rest up. But Jesus turned up his service to the community. He not only taught humility, 
but he brought it to the people. You see, this trait of humble service while in kingly authority is so unique and so unexpected. We have seen so many kings who have led through their ego and, and pride and their, their, their complete posturing. But we see this Jesus is different. His kingdom is a different kingdom. And he came to be a contrast of all those other contrary kingdoms. I mentioned this in my previous sermon, but didn't get to go into too much detail. I want to highlight and press in on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a king who constantly demonstrated his pride. He looked over his kingdom. He says, is this not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? You see, so many kings at the time, they looked at their leadership as a canvas to display their greatness. And after making this arrogant, self-exalting claim, Nebuchadnezzar was immediately brought low to his knees in shame, eating grass like an ox. His arrogance led him to act like the beast he already was. And it wasn't until he had eyes wide open on the true king, the eternal king, and saw his identity that it changed his action. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And listen to this. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, including himself. And he, God, does all according to all his will among the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say, what have you done? You see, King Nebuchadnezzar became uh, enamored by the glory of the greater king, the covenant king of all creation, and that brought him low on his knees before his glory. And looking up to the true king and his greatness, we become a humble people, lowering ourselves to him. You see, we all the more should have unhindered devotion to Jesus when we see that he is a humble king who serves Because we know that his serving love saves us. We know that Jesus came not to save himself, but to be a ransom to save the world who would trust in Jesus. And this idea of ransom is a payment. It's a payment to deliver people from slavery. Jesus paid the price, laying down his life, even to the point of death, that we would be set free from our selfishness and our sin. And by his sacrificial service, he paid the price of our prideful sin. You see, when we see the unexpected humility of Jesus, it calls us to unhindered devotion to him. Now, what do we do with this? How do we apply this for our life? Well, we first need to repent for ways we grasp for position. We show off our greatness and even rob attention. We are all approval seekers in so many ways, and we must repent from that. We must humble ourselves to receive the free gift of salvation that Christ alone offers. And we can trust God. Why? Because we know that he is out for our good, serving according to our needs. Now we see here, this is the unexpected humility of Jesus. But we also see the unexpected power of Jesus. Now, think about kings you know. Do you know any kings? How do they relate to power? Well, we expect kings to show off their power. The Pharaoh of Egypt, do you know how he was resembled? With a strong arm, a mighty hand. Other kings show off their greatness with military strength and tanks and missiles. It was common for kings to demonstrate their might by conquering other kingdoms and putting on display large and significant statues that would be worshipped. We see this in many cultures around Israel. You could say that the glory of these people was centered on their use of power. 
But if you look at Jesus, he is a God of great power, but he is also one who uses his power towards specific ends. Now, if you look at the text, you'll see in uh, chapter 19 that his power is emphasized. Why are they praising God with uh, loud lips and loud words? Because of the great and mighty works of God. This is the dunamis, kratos. They're praising Jesus for his great power and these supernatural works that they've seen. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is one of great and profound power. But the reality is Jesus uses his power to save and not to kill. We see that he has come in the name of the Lord. Another reference to Jesus' power. Think about David and Goliath, right? When David goes before Goliath and he sizes up with this big beast of a man, he says, you come to me with sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And so what is, uh, what is being said when they praise him for coming in the name of the Lord? They're saying this Jesus has come in the power of God himself. Jesus is God, the powerful one, the eternal one, who has all power and authority to do all that God has called him to do. You see, Jesus came with great power. But it's interesting, isn't it? After he praises Jesus for his great power coming in the name of the Lord, what's the very next thing it says? The text says, peace in heaven. Peace. What is Jesus accomplishing with his power? Jesus has come to take all of his power, all of his might, and bring about peace in those who are alienated and hostile outside of God's kingdom. And so we say along with these people, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Praise the Lord who saves. And this is what's so unexpected about Jesus' power, isn't it? We would expect his power to come to defeat. But his power came to save and to bring peace. It's interesting, there's a quote here from a guy named William Hendrickson. And here's what he says about Jesus' power to promote peace. Jesus is not the earthly Messiah of Israel's dreams. The one that wages war against an earthly oppressor, but the one who came to promote and establish the things that make for peace. You see, this lasting peace is reconciliation between God and man, and between man and his fellow man. Accordingly, Jesus enters Jerusalem mounted on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, an animal associated not with the rigors of war, but with the pursuits of peace. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You see, other kings are quick to put to death anyone who rebels against his kingdom. But what has Jesus come to do? Jesus has come to reconcile rebels. Jesus has come to die on their behalf for their salvation. We must remember, this is the king of creation. Dying when he should be out killing We see this most clearly in Jesus' garden in Gethsemane. When Jesus is praying in the garden, what happens? The army comes against him. Rebels mount their horses. They come with swords and clubs ready to take Jesus to death. And one of Jesus' disciples, following the ways of the world, what does he do? He picks up his sword. He cuts off the ear. And what did Jesus say to them? Simon, put away your sword. For he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus literally says at that very moment, don't you realize I could call thousands of armies of angels to come in at this moment and destroy everyone? Great power. But Jesus said, if I did that, 
my purpose would not be fulfilled. His purpose not to destroy all of his enemies, but to bring salvation to those dying in their sin. For Jesus himself said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through me. Now, don't get me wrong. This does not mean peace, peace, all things are well. Because as Jesus goes to the next scene, he's weeping. And why is he weeping? Because he knows that those who rebel against God's kingdom, those who turn away from the Lord, they will face impending destruction. And we see just Jesus weeping in sadness and pity. Why? Because he knows that surrounding Jerusalem will be an army that will destroy Jerusalem. They will take captive the people in the city and destroy the temple. And what is he referring to there? AD 70, when the temple was destroyed. And Jesus says, you would not experience destruction if you only knew the day of your visitation. And may today be the day of your visitation. May today be the day that you look at this powerful, humble Savior who came to die for your sin, that you would be set free. May today be the day that you come to faith in this Savior King and trust him in all things. Now, how do we apply this unexpected power to our daily life? Well, first and foremost, we trust that Jesus is king. And this brings us great security. It gives us great hope to know that Jesus the king is our defender. But we need to know that how is he our defender first? He first defends us from ourselves. Because what is the number one thing that destroys us? It's our sin. It's our rebellion. And so Jesus is your defender who sheds his blood to die for you that you would be brought in. But it also is good to know that we have a defender, one who will finally bring judgment and will end all evil in this world around us. You don't have to defend yourself. Put away your dagger. Jesus will be your defender. He will take care of your enemies. He will bring about the final judgment and all that's gone wrong in this world will be made right. This gives us not only great security, but it also gives us great peace. Because we know that everything that brought hostility between us and God has been paid for in full on the cross. And therefore, we can be peacemakers in this community. And therefore, we can be those in our family when conflicts come and they come to your house to celebrate Easter. We can be the ones that seek peace rather than war. You see, because of God's unexpected power seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can turn and trust in Jesus to save us and to secure us. Well, Jesus did enter into Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem in the power of his steadfast love. And the question is, how are we as a church going to enter into this community with this unexpected humility and unexpected power? As we leave this church, as we go into Holy Week, and as we interact with family and friends, I want to encourage you to go with Jesus. Go in a way that's unexpected. You see, the world has already known what to expect about Christians. They know how we act. They know what we look like. Could we maybe this week go into this world, go into Lake Oconee, and give them an unexpected taste of an unexpected king and show where our unhindered devotion lies to Jesus? the one of unexpected humility and unexpected power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. We bless you that you are the unexpected king, that you came in humility and power to bring about restoration and peace in this world. Oh Lord, how much we need this unexpected king personally.
How much this world needs this unexpected king to see and to savor and to change all things and make all things new. Oh, Lord, we pray that as we, uh, in a minute, take of communion, that we would taste the goodness of your humble love, your saving power, and that tasting that goodness, you would transform us to be on mission for your glory. Through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, at this time now, we'll prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to sing a hymn that points us to Jesus' sacrifice, his goodness and grace. If you are serving communion, if you can go ahead and please come down and sit here in the front row. And let's now reflect and consider Christ and sing this together. Let's do that now. You all, I know my, see, there it goes again. See that? I told you, we have a surprising king. I'm trying to display Jesus here a little bit. My apologies to our online viewers. Now you can hear me a little better. And my apologies to you in here who hear me all too well. 
Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, did you catch those words? This is my body, which is for you. I think we expect a lot in the world, don't we? Our intuition is such. You meet somebody or whatever, and immediately you're thinking, hmm, are they for me or are they against me? And I don't know about you, but, you know, I can be a little sometimes suspicious and untrusting. I don't know if I'm alone in that or if I'm confessing my sin again. But it's easy to kind of go, hmm, are they for me? How surprising is this? How unexpected that the king is saying, I am not only for you, I am so for you that I give my body and my blood. I give not a part of myself, I give all of myself for you. And he continues to give of himself. Even though that one act, his death on the cross, was uniquely sacrificial, a one-time event, but in this table, Jesus is saying, feed on that event. This event that was one time, I continue to give to you by my spirit. I continue to give to you so that you'll be strengthened by my grace. You'll be renewed by my grace. You don't live by your own power. You do not pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You live by faith in me who loved you and gave himself for you. And so friends, even if you're struggling, if you're trusting that, you're invited to come. Only if you're sitting out here and you're going, I really can't buy into this yet. I don't believe this yet. You know what? We respect that. Nobody's here to coerce you into anything. In fact, we'd invite you to keep coming back, keep checking Jesus out, keep asking the good shepherd to make himself known to you. I believe he will. But I would ask that you let the elements pass by. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves that we would discern or recognize the body. Now, what does that mean? That has two references. Certainly vertically, recognize that Jesus was given for you. You personally receive that. But recognize he's talking about his body, and we are the body of Christ. So there's a horizontal dimension to that, that we are to be reconciled to one another. Does that mean everybody has to be our best friend? No. It just means that we're not holding grudges or bitterness or resentment. We're forgiving as the Lord forgave us. It's an opportunity to come clean. It is an opportunity. Jesus is all about new beginnings, new life. I am making all things new. This is an opportunity. Repentance is about newness. It's an opportunity to come to him and be renewed. So friends, let's pray and ask the Lord to set these elements apart for their holy use this morning. Father, thank you that Jesus in his entirety was given for us. That is amazing. And I pray that we would be renewed in that. 
I pray, Father, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we would be strengthened in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for you to come to us now by your Spirit, that we are truly, truly feeding by faith, spiritually, on the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That real grace is being conveyed and given to us here. And so, Lord, we need that. We're desperate for that. We come to you. We ask that you would set these elements apart for their holy use. In Jesus' name, amen.
on the night Jesus was betrayed. After giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me.
the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. In the first letter of John, John wrote, Beloved, you are children of God. See what kind of manner of love the Lord has given you that we'd be called children of God, and that's what we are. And then you've said, What we will become has not yet been seen, for we will be like you, Lord Jesus, because we will see you as you are. Lord, help us to see Jesus continually as you are. Not in the image we make you, but as you are. This surprising, unexpected king. A king of all power and a king of all grace. A king of all justice and a king of all truth. A king of all righteousness and a king of all mercy. Continue to surprise us and continue to come to us. For we need you. We desperately need you. Lord God, thank you for blessing us with this time of intimate fellowship with you at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing the final two verses of Jesus Paid It All. Friends, God has called us to do the unexpected in this community. And because it's unexpected and even impossible ourselves, he has given to us his blessing, his promise of grace that we would carry out his calling in this world. If you're trusting in Jesus and longing to go with Jesus, not only into this city, but also to the ends of the earth with the hope of the gospel, then stretch forth your hands and receive God's blessing from Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God. And the one Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.